0: O today, that you would hear his voice and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. A reading from Psalm 20, these are God's words. For the choir director, a Psalm of David. May Yahweh answer you in the day of your distress. May the name of the God of Jacob set you securely on high. May he send you help from the sanctuary and uphold you from Zion. May he remember all your meal sacrifices and find your burnt offerings acceptable. Selah. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your counsel. We will sing for joy over your salvation. And in the name of our God, we will set up our banners. May Yahweh fulfill all your petitions. Now I know that Yahweh saves his anointed, He will answer him from his holy heaven, with the saving might of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will trust in the name of Yahweh our God. They have bowed down and fallen, but we have risen and stood upright. O Yahweh, save the King, answer us in the day we call. These are God's words. You can take your seats. When we're looking to understand and apply any psalm to our current place and time, we need to first understand how it applied to the people it was first written for. We need to ask, what did the song mean to Israel at the time that they received it? We are receiving the psalm today in a very different context, a very different point of redemptive history. So if we don't do the work of understanding its original function, we could make applications that don't follow from the text. And I believe many do that with this psalm, particularly with one verse in the middle. This verse reads, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will trust in the name of Yahweh our God. Now it's fine to apply sections of a psalm like this one more broadly than the psalmist did and is an original use of it. There is a broad truth here. But I see people who do not know the context of this psalm using it to prove the opposite of what David was saying here. Uh, We'll come back to this verse and its proper application at the end, but I thought I'd just bring up this point now to show you where we are going. But first, we need to do the work that I said every modern interpreter must do and consider the occasion for the psalm and why David wrote it. Throughout Psalm 20, there are many requests made for an individual. David uses the singular pronoun, you, from start to finish, and this is explicit in the Hebrew. May Yahweh answer you, singular, in the day of distress. May the name of the God of Jacob set you securely on high. May he send you help from the sanctuary and uphold you from Zion. The second thing to note is that these requests are being made by a congregation, that is a body of people, for this individual. For example, in verse 5 it says, we, plural, will sing for joy over your singular salvation. So what are we to make of this? The key to this singular you is found in the last verse, I believe, which says, O Yahweh, save the king. Answer us in the day we call. So Israel making these requests for their king. The psalm is a lengthy prayer for the prosperity and success of the king and his kingdom, written by the king himself. David wrote this prayer for himself to be sung by others. At some point, David would have had to have handed this psalm off to Israel and said, Here you go. Would you sing this for me? Now, we all know that if Christopher Hipkins dared to do this in our country, he'd be laughed out of office. <laughs> so, what makes it okay for David to do this as the leader of his nation? Calvin, in his commentary on this passage, saw how this could be considered as an absurdity, and this is how he addressed it, quoting from him now. There is no absurdity in David speaking for himself in the person of others. The office of a prophet having been committed to him, he with great propriety, Prepared this as a form of prayer for the use of the faithful. In doing so, his object was not so much to commend his own person by authoritatively issuing a royal ordinance enjoined upon the people the use of this prayer as to show, in the exercise of his office as teacher, that it belonged to the whole church to concern itself and to the use of its endeavors that the kingdom which God had erected might continue safe and prosperous. So David, being anointed by God as both king and a prophet or teacher, was given this revelation by God. God's people would need a song of this kind, a song to be sung by a nation on behalf of their king. Now, there's a lot that could be said about this. Will the churches of our day, that have abandoned the Psalms almost entirely, ever sing a song like this in their Lord's Day worship? Would it occur to them that they should? Since the answer is obviously no, this exposes a need or a lack. This shows us that the church needs songs that have a prophetic origin, divinely inspired songs. We don't merely need to be instructed to sing. All the churches have no problem with doing that. We also need to be instructed in what to sing. This psalm teaches us one thing that we must sing as a church. Since we as Christians believe in the sufficiency and the necessity of all of Scripture, that would include all 150 songs we're told to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, this particular psalm, with its specific aims and intentions, must fill a space in the body of necessary practices for the church. Without it, we have an insufficient songbook. God does not give us unnecessary instruction. Every one of his words has a telos. That is, he has an end in mind, a goal, a kind of fruit that he wants to produce. This being the case, what tangible benefit or fruit are we missing out on when we abandon the songs, and this one in particular, when they are given to us by God? I don't think we could answer that question, but it has to be something significant. And there is something to be said about the need for this prayer to be sung. There is a unique power in song. There is a power in poetry. Like Non said the other week, there is a power in the form and delivery of words. These words are supposed to be addressed to God in a particular way. They are to be sung. They are a psalm not knowing exactly what power the singing of these words has, we definitely shouldn't abandon the song form that these words are given to us in as though it were just incidental. So if we're not going to abandon this particular song that was given first to Israel by King David and multiple millennia later to us, how are we to apply it to our time? I see two broad applications. The first one is the most important. First, we should apply the words of the psalm to the one who is currently seated on David's throne, Jesus, the risen King of kings. He, in a sense, is ruling over the same kingdom that David did. Now, the kingdom of God that came with Christ was obviously something new, but that new kingdom that Daniel said would take over all the other kingdoms of the earth was established on the throne of David. So when we sing, may Yahweh grant you your heart's desires and fulfill all your counsel. We will sing for joy over your salvation. And in the name of our God, we will set up our banners. May Yahweh fulfill all your petitions. We can ask these things of God the Father for Christ the King, since he is presiding over the kingdom. And we, like Israel, are part of this king's kingdom. We want the desires of the king's heart to be granted, because this will work out for our good too. And we want all his counsel to be established over all the earth, because this will benefit all the earth. And as he conquers the kingdoms of men, we will sing for joy, as the psalm says, as we witness his salvation unfolding in the earth. Now, the second way that we could apply this psalm in our day is if the Lord wills it to come to pass, we could sing this to God on behalf of our faithful, earthly leader of state, one that submits to the king of kings. Think about this. Since David was a good king, Israel would have wanted to sing this song for him. It would have been a natural prayer for them. They wanted more of a good thing. So they asked the one who changes times and seasons and removes kings and sets up kings to prosper and extend the rule of their current king. So in the same way, if we had a good leader who was preferably male, that kissed the sun and served the Lord with fear, this would be a natural song for us to sing. May Yahweh keep this man in power May he overcome his enemies, foreign and domestic. If God heard and answered this prayer, it would be for the good of Christ's kingdom also. This is how the extension of his kingdom looks. Kings submitting to and serving Christ. And the answer of this prayer would be for our own good as well. Our nation would prosper. When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. If Israel, a nation with real wars, real borders, real crime, real injustice ought to sing this prayer for the successful maintenance of these things through their king. It follows that all nations that have these things should ask God for the blessing of their leadership to do the same. And we do kind of do this. Our national anthem uh, doesn't ask God to save the king specifically, but it does ask God for prosperity in the political sphere. The British, of course, do sing on behalf of their royal leaders directly with their national anthem. I believe their national anthem was based on the psalm, actually. Both of our nations were founded on Christian principles and desiring to be faithful to the king of kings. So when we chose our national anthems, we understood that songs of this kind were important for our nation, even necessary. So summing up my point. This psalm could be directly applied to our nation's leaders if they were faithful servants of Christ's kingdom. Now, to wrap up, uh, let's wrap up by considering the verse I referred to at the beginning, verse 7 again. Uh, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will trust in the name of Yahweh our God. How does this verse function in the psalm? Well, for many nations, their confidence is in their military forces. They believe they'll be safe and secure with their superior tanks and missiles, along with the economy that fuels their war machine. And I'm sure many nations, modern nations, are coming to mind as I say that. God taught Israel time and time again that their national security depended only on having the favor of God. He showed them a number of times that they did not need superior military forces to overcome an enemy if God was with them. The number of chariots and horses were irrelevant. We read in 2 Samuel 8 that David, with inferior forces, defeated the Syrians, and in so doing, captured 1,700 of their chariots. The Syrians trusted in their chariots, but David trusted in the name of Yahweh. So this was something that David knew from first-hand experience. He acted out the faith expressed in the psalm. But how is this verse sometimes used in our modern day? Typically, I've seen it around election day being used by some pious Christians, along with the passage about not trusting in princes, reminding everyone on their Facebook feed that good Christians don't care about elections. We don't get too wrapped up in the political realm. The church has more spiritual concerns, chariots and horses, yuck. But the concern of this psalm is political. It is about earthly nations. It is a prayer seeking the prosperity of a good earthly king. The existence of this psalm proves that Christians should want and even seek good governance. Not depending on carnal power to establish it, it's important, but depending upon and trusting in the name of Yahweh. And to say that we won't trust and put our trust in chariots. We are not saying that chariots aren't good and useful. After David captured the chariots of the Syrians, the ones that they put their trust in, he kept 100 of them for his own army. God uses the things of earthly utility to accomplish his ends. He's not dependent upon them, but he does use them. Therefore, elections are important. Not hugely important with our current voting options, but they are still important. We do have to be careful not to put our hope in them. Both conservatives and liberals do this. But because this danger exists, we do not abandon a good work given to all mankind, including Christians. We need to pray that God will raise up some courageous young men and that God would use them as faithful leaders in the political sphere. May God do this in our time. To conclude, before we sing, I think we should return our minds to the first application we made. Christ is the King, currently sitting on the throne of David. When we sing the words of the psalm today, we are seeking the advancement and prosperity of his kingdom. So let's sing Psalm 20 now on behalf of Christ the King to the tune of O for a thousand tongues to sing.